Hi, everyone. I'm Mara Freeman, Public Relations Manager, and welcome to Resilient and Real. As Mental Health Month comes to an end, we have a powerful episode today from a local community member who has lost loved ones to suicide. Please note that the discussion today can be overwhelming. If while listening to this episode, you find yourself impacted, please call our crisis staff at 909-421-9233 or text 909-420-0560. The call is free and confidential. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. Discussion like today's are necessary as we further the conversation about suicide prevention and stigma reduction. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, this is Dr. Veronica Kelly, Behavioral Health Director for San Bernardino County Department of Behavioral Health, and welcome to Resilient and Real. We are really excited to have a guest with us today, Steve Jacobs, and uh, we have some great information to share and really focus of our talk today is on surviving suicide. So Steve, maybe you could just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, yeah, my name is Steve Jacobs. I'm a freelance videographer uh, as well as a photographer. I shoot um, photos for Getty Images. Um, I'm retired from public service. I spent about 20 years working for the cities of Moreno Valley and the city of Riverside, and I'm now retired here living in Moreno Valley. Oh, you sound very young to be retired, but good for you. <laughs> I highly recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> so as I said um, to our listeners, today's topic really is about surviving suicide. And in the context, I mean it as not that a person made an attempt and they survived the attempt of suicide, but someone who has survived the loss that suicide brings. And we know that there are a lot of risk factors for suicide. And that 46% of those people who die by suicide had a known mental health condition. And that suicide risk factors include a family history of suicide, substance use, uh, as well as intoxication, such that one in three people are under the influence of alcohol when they complete a suicide. Access to firearms, having a serious or chronic mental condition. Gender is also a risk factor in that women are more likely to make an attempt, but men are four times more likely to die of that attempt. And then really um, important for everyone to know, especially after the year we've all had, is a history of trauma or abuse, prolonged stress, and a recent tragedy or loss. So those are all risk factors for suicide. So Steve, maybe you could um, share some of your experience, your personal relationship to suicide. Yeah. So, you know, prior to a couple of years ago, I actually had no experience with suicide at all. Uh, And then tragically, in both 2019 and in 2020, I had two people very close to me uh, take their own lives. Um, The first one was a friend of mine named Lane Arnoff. I had met him in 1994 when he was in the military with my wife and they were colleagues together. And so they were both, you know, video shooters. And then I met him at a party and we're both video nerds. And so we kind of hit it off. And throughout the years, you know, he traveled to different places. And then as it turns out, you know, a few years later, toward the end of my wife's career, he got assigned into the building that she works at out of March Air Reserve Base. And so we kind of picked up on our friendship. And uh, he was a single guy, uh, smart, intelligent, funny. I mean, he had a lot of success in his career. In fact, he, he made it a 
up, uh, he was working for the CDC in Atlanta and was a GS 14, which is, you know, pretty high up there for somebody who's in the field of video. And so he, he had a good career, but he just, I think he had some underlying, you know, problems and doubts, you know, self-worth kind of thing. And um, so anyway, he had gotten out of the military and he had moved up to a little town in Northern California called Twain Hart. And I had driven up to visit him. He was living in a, like a cabin and he had, he had taken a couple of years off work to do some screenwriting. He was trying to write, you know, something he thought, thought might be turned into a movie. And so I visited him and he seemed, you know, seemed okay. And I talked to him pretty regularly. I think every two weeks on a Sunday, I'd, you know, chat with him. Um, and then he, he started dating this woman and I think he was having some, you know, relationship issues. And so he was calling me more frequently and I could tell, you know, he was depressed and I told him I thought he should, you know, get help from the VA since he's a veteran. And he ultimately did, but he, he was prescribed a medication that was supposed to help him, you know, with him, his anxiety. And I think when I think back now about his suicide, I think the factors were some of the ones that you mentioned. He had access to a firearm. He was having, you know, uh, emotional problems with this person he was dating. He was single. You know, male, you know, a lot of the you know factors you listed, I think, came into play. And I, I think his medication wasn't dialed in correctly because I remember having a conversation with him shortly before he took his own life. Um, he was mentioning that he would take one of the pills and it would have zero effect on him. But if he took a second one, it had the complete opposite effect and he'd get very agitated. So anyway, how, how I found out was his cousin called me. Uh, when I was up visiting my dad and he said, Hey, when's the last time you heard from Lane? And I said, oh, I just talked to him on Tuesday. And this was like a Friday. And he said, uh, well, he, I got a call from his employer that said he didn't show up for work. He was a, uh, he was a struggling realtor uh, in that area. And I think also financially, I think he was not in a good place. And so ultimately what happened is the, they did a search for him. And about two weeks after that, they found him in the forest he had taken his, you know, firearm and had shot himself. Um, so yeah, that was it was tragic to get that news, you know, because we were very, very close. And, and he didn't have a lot of friends. In fact, his his employer, I later found out that he was supposed to show a house on a Saturday, and what he did was he didn't show up. And so they looked on his desk, and on his desk was a sticky note that had three names on it and phone numbers. And mine was one of them. A mutual friend was another, and his cousin was the other. And so I think his circle of friends and family was quite small. And also, as you noted earlier, his family also had a history of suicide. His mother had taken her own life. Yeah, that is um, a tragic story. Um, and uh, I know that you have more affiliation, unfortunately, with suicide because you talked about 2019 and 2020. So um, you want, could you share what the other affiliation with suicide is? Yeah. So my dad uh, was married to my mom way long time ago. He had three wives. And so my mom is perfectly fine. She lives in Canada. She's in her 80s. But my dad had remarried and he married a woman he was married to, I think, for 20 years named Virginia. And they had a really great marriage. But unfortunately, she developed Alzheimer's late in their marriage and ultimately uh, he had to put her in a home and she got to a point where she, you know, couldn't recognize him, didn't know who he was. And this was about 10 years ago. And I went up to visit him shortly after she had passed and he he couldn't sleep in their bed. His house was a mess. I mean, there was paperwork and bills everywhere. And 
you know, he was a hot mess because it really, you know, affected him deeply. And so he eventually recovered from that. And as it turns out, a few years after that, he ends up meeting a lady in his community where he lives who her husband had also died, died of Alzheimer's. And these two begin dating. And so I met Sylvia uh, a few years back and a uh, perfectly good marriage there. But unfortunately, she also developed Alzheimer's. And I could tell in the last couple of years that he was really, you know, dreading what he knew was coming because he had already, you know, gone through it before. And so my, his brother, uh, my uncle and I, we used to regularly go up to see my dad and visit with him and visit with Sylvia. And unfortunately, he had to put Sylvia in the same sort of home for Alzheimer's about a year and a half ago. And she just rapidly, you know, went downhill to the point where the last time we had been visiting him, he had said that she doesn't recognize him you know, any longer. And it, we could tell that really upset him, you know, but he, you know, he seemed okay. It didn't seem like he was suicidal at all. And uh, I distinctly remember a conversation we had in his kitchen um, we were joking around about how they were getting older and, and, and my dad had just turned 80 on August 17th. And so we were joking about how, how much longer he thought he could last. And he's like, well, I'm in pretty good health. I could probably make it to 85. And we all laughed and everything. And so anyway, after that trip was over, I came home and uh, I was at a, a freelance assignment and my sister called me just in tears. And at first I thought it was something to do with her son, but then she said, dad is dead. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I was just up there like a month ago. What happened? And she said that she had a call from the Santa Barbara Sheriff's Department that um, said he had, had shot himself in his backyard. And so uh, I called the, the Sheriff's Department and, and spoke to him and he gave me sort of a more detailed run of events. Uh, so apparently my dad went to visit his wife, Sylvia, at the home on a Sunday and she didn't recognize him. And he was very upset and distraught, and he uh, he had told the caretaker that he wasn't feeling well, and so he drove back home. And then he woke up Monday, and apparently he still wasn't feeling well, and he felt a little dizzy. And so he took a taxi to a local hospital, and the, they ran a bunch of tests on him. And the only thing that was wrong with him was he was dehydrated. And so the doctor, I think, kind of chided him like, "Hey, you know, you got to remember to you know take more fluids, get some salt." And uh, at the same time, his car was in the shop. So I think he was upset about that. And uh, so apparently he took a cab back home and the neighbor happened to see him come home and thought, that's weird. I don't recognize this car. And it's because it was a cab. And then a few minutes later, he heard what he thought was like a broken window sound. Um, and he didn't bother to come over because he figured, oh, well, some, somebody dropped a glass or broke a window or something. But it was, in fact, my dad had gone into his house, got his firearm, went into the backyard and had shot himself. And I just, it that was just crushing to hear, you know, that news, especially since I had just been up there visiting him with his brother and he seemed, you know, pretty fine. And so, yeah, back to back years of suicide was not, uh, not how I envisioned things unfolding. No, I think nobody does, you know, to your point that things seemed okay. It's it's interesting because our focus is always on the physical health, like your dad's focus. Um, but we forget that uh, mental health is, is essential to optimum health. And if we don't have that, it's hard to have anything else. And so really important 
information that you're sharing simply because as we move towards September um, and Suicide Prevention Month, we do a campaign here. Uh, it's The campaign is called Be the One Two. So be the number one, two, T-O. Be the, be the one to make a difference. Be the one to start the conversation. And, and Steve, you're doing that with us here today, starting the conversation. Because for so many years, we don't like to talk about suicide. And there's a myth that if we talk about it, people will do it. And what we know to be fact is if we don't talk about it, people will do it. I know that um, later you learned some um, concerning things uh, regarding your brother. Could you share that? Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, it's, it's funny. I have a twin brother. His name's Doug, um, and he, but he's not much for communication. Uh, oftentimes I find out stuff about his life through uh, things like Facebook. And so this actually happened, I believe, in 2018, as I just happened to be on Facebook poking around, and I see this picture of my brother that he's posted, and it's a picture of him up on stage with other people, and they're all holding signs. And so I I double-clicked on the photo so I could get a better look at it, and on the sign he wrote, in 2014, I tried to kill myself with alcohol and pills. And I, I was shocked because he never said anything to me about that. And I was, uh, to be honest with you, I was very upset and mad. And I called him and, and I said, I cannot believe that this is how I'm finding out about this. And so he, you know, waited till I, you know, calmed down. And then he asked me, do you want to know, you know, more about the story? And I said, of course I do. And so he told me that he, you know, was having marital, you know, problems. He's also an Air Force veteran. Thank God he didn't have access to a firearm. Um, but he had told me that he had become an alcoholic and that he was, um, he got to the point where he wanted to kill himself. And so he got a bottle of, I think it was rum or <clears throat> vodka or something, and a bunch of pills. And he went out to his vehicle and got in his truck. And I think he said he drove to some random parking lot. And he just drank this whole bottle and swallowed these pills thinking that it was, he was going to die. And I guess at some point he accidentally slumped over and leaned on the door handle and the door came open and he hit the concrete and that kind of like woke him up out of his stupor. And then he said he just drove home and then that's, you know, that's what happened. And I was just like, oh my gosh. I mean, I just, I couldn't fathom the fact that he couldn't pick up the phone and call me. And I'd like to think if I was in that same situation, that I would have that ability. But clearly, for some people, they just can't can't ask for help. Yeah, I think that is a super important thing that you just noted there, is that we sort of rely on those who are the most impacted to reach out. And if you think about that, if they're that impacted, they wouldn't be able to. But then you starting the conversation, which is what you did. You saw the picture, you reached out to him, that opened the door. I think that's really important when we're talking about that campaign I just talked about, the Be the One Two campaign. It just, that campaign is about five things that we can do if you're concerned about someone and you think have a, the, even the slightest inkling that perhaps they might be thinking about killing themselves. And the, the steps are, number one, you ask the question and it's really important as you just stated, that we ask the actual question. We don't beat around the bush. We don't say, are you thinking of doing something crazy? Are you thinking of 
hurting yourself, we ask the very specific question, are you thinking about killing yourself? And then we listen. We want to make sure that whatever their answer is, that we don't pass judgment on that answer, right? Because sometimes when people give us the, the answer, they say, yeah, I'm thinking about killing myself. Our number one instinct is to dissuade them. And we go immediately to, oh, but you have so much to live for. Why would you do something stupid like that? And those are things that are very judgmental, right? So the, the first thing you do is you ask the question, you listen so that they know that you're actually listening to what they're saying. You're, you're um, not passing judgment. You're giving some credibility to their feelings, which is really important. Then you keep them safe. And so you, you don't say, well, I'll catch you later mm-hmm. <laughs> and leave, right? You stay. Or you might text another friend or a family member so that that person who just told you they want to end their lives is safe. You help them connect. So you say things like, let's call someone. Let's see if we can get you an appointment to go see your doctor. You don't have to find a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a social worker to see someone who's in distress. You can call their regular doctor. And then you follow up and keep checking on them. That's really, really important. But the most important thing is starting the conversation, which is what you've done today, Steve, um, and just talking with us openly about this. Um, I want to make sure that people have a number that they can call if you ever have a concern or if you're with someone who you are worried about um, who might be contemplating suicide. The National Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-TALK, T-A-L-K. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're 24 hours a day and you could call them uh, at any time with someone who's you know, contemplating suicide. I think important too to point out, Steve, and I think I got this from your stories, um, is that all these folks had uh, were veterans in our military. Is that accurate? That is accurate. Yes. Yeah. So vets are one and a half times more likely to complete a suicide than a civilian, and it's based on a lot of the things that we talked about earlier. The the risk factors for completing a suicide or for attempting suicide, um, in particular with the access to firearms, just makes it easier for someone to do that if they have access. So um, really important things I think we, we all need to remember. If in looking back, you know, because you've had a little bit of time, not a whole lot of time, Steve, but a little bit of time, what would you want our listeners to know um, based on your own experience if they were experiencing the same sort of thing with family or friends? What kind of words of advice might you give them? You know, I, a lot of people have asked me, like, do you think you could have done or said anything to prevent either one of them? And uh, in looking back, I'm not sure that I could. I mean, I had regular conversations with both my friend Lane and my dad. And even though I knew Lane was struggling a little bit more than say my dad was, I mean, he was doing what he was supposed to be doing, which was reaching out to the VA. He had seen uh, a therapist uh, via the internet. Uh, he, he was getting medication. And so I, I don't know. I, I like to think I could have uh, made a difference, but I don't think I could. Well, and, and let me frame it a different way. I think you're making a difference because you're talking about this. Um, we aren't expecting, as from a mental health pro- professional's perspective, I'm not expecting um, everyone to be able to identify clinically if someone's at risk for suicide. 
But just the fact that you've talked so openly about your own experience is going to help one of our listeners. It just, it just is because that's what we know is once we start the conversation, that's what makes the difference. So um, I want to make sure that you don't leave our conversation thinking that you could have, should have, would have, because that's not helpful, right? What is helpful is that you're here today. You are um, talking about suicide and, and just by you and I having this conversation that is um, addressing how we can prevent it in the future. Because I think folks think someone who completes a suicide is a certain kind of person. And from the description you've given of your family and friends, it's, it's the everyday Joe. It's just a regular guy um, or, or, or girl who, who is impacted by suicide. Can I share one more thing with you? Of could? course. Absolutely. So my uncle, um, my dad's brother, when he got back from us driving up there to, uh, to take care of his personal business, when we got back to the Los Angeles area, um, he told his girlfriend about what had happened and, and how upset I was. And she sent me a lovely um, short poem that I'd like to read if I could, please. Please, please do. I give you this one thought to keep. I am with you still. I do not sleep. I am a thousand winds that blow. I am the diamond glints on snow. I am the sunlight on ripened grain. I am the gentle autumn rain. When you awaken in the morning's hush, I am the swift, uplifting rush of quiet birds in circled flight. I am the soft stars that shine at night. Do not think of me as gone. I am with you still in each new dawn. And that really touched me and it really helped. And I break it out and look at it every once in a while when I start thinking about my dad and Lane. Thank you so much for sharing that. And that is a beautiful poem. And I'm sure that um, folks who are listening will um, take solace with that. I hope that you continue to do as well. I think it's important as we um, end our conversation that we remember that mental health is very important. Mental health is important for all of us because we all have it and we want to keep it. And remember that suicide can be prevented if we talk about it as a society, if we address suicide like we address obesity, like we address asthma, hypertension. It is, it is the very same type of a, an issue. And so as we move forward towards uh, Suicide Prevention Month, it's important to remember that it's okay to not be okay. And that the most important thing is that we start the conversation. And I cannot thank you enough, um, Steve Jacobs, for spending the, a few moments of your day with us sharing um, about the life of your friend Lane, about your father, and about your brother, as well as sharing a little bit of yourself. Thank you, Dr. Kelly. I appreciate that. Of course. And, and thank you. So until next time, everyone, we will catch you on the well side. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. Please know you are not alone and your mental health matters. For more information about behavioral health services available in San Bernardino County, please visit sbcounty.gov forward slash dbh. Until next time, live life resilient and real.